Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you did not know shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways better, higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy, and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall bring forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come and we are in awe of the wonderful promises and the thorough nature of the redemption that you have promised us through your son, the Lord Jesus. Father, as we give attention now to your word, we pray that you would give us ears to hear 
We pray that you would give us eyes to see. Father, we pray that as uh, the text calls us to this morning, we would not tarry, we would not dither, we would not negotiate, but rather we would seek to acquire for ourselves the glorious things promised to us through your Son in your Gospel. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we come to the end of our time in the Servant Songs of Isaiah. When we began in chapter 36, we saw foreigners invading Zion and blaspheming the name of Yahweh. This morning, because of the work of the servant, we see foreigners in Zion living as God's people, submitted to God's word, and praising God's name. Now, this top and tail of the servant songs reminds us of a vital truth of the Christian life. Those who claim to be the people of God must actually appropriate, or they, may, they must lay hold of the promises that God makes and keeps through His servant, Jesus. We saw last week that God both proclaims and invites because of the servant's work. So how do we now, sitting here this morning, respond rightly to God's invitation? Or, as the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas in the text that Ella read for us this morning, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, understanding that the work of the servant is the basis and the ground for all that our text this morning calls us to, we still need to wrestle with this particular question. How do we appropriate the promises of God? Thankfully, Isaiah paints us a very vivid picture of what the faithful pursuit of God's promises looks like. Now, this morning, you see in your outline a big idea. And the big idea is this. The people of God must appropriate the promises of God. The people of God must appropriate the promises of God. It is uh, currently swim season at our house, which means we are very much as a family in pursuit mode. Life during swim season looks very different than in the off-season. Bedtime is a hard, fast rule. Eating early and often is a necessity for one of us, though one of us likes to join in. Getting up before the sun has risen to go swim is a reality twice a week. And so that means either Amy or I get up with him on those days in which uh, it's time to go swim. Some of Nathaniel's friends seem to think he has dropped off the face of the planet. They don't see him. They don't talk to him. He goes to swim practice. He goes to school. He sleeps. He eats. He goes to swim practice again. That's his life. He's doing all of that because he's pursuing something that has value to him. Well, friends, our text this morning tells us 
that the servant of the Lord has done something of great value. And now, in our text, we're called to pursue that thing. And like an entire household in the midst of swim season, life looks different. It has different rhythms. There's a different structure. There are different priorities. And we see three different commands in three different sections in our text for this morning. The first command is this. We are to come to the waters. We are to come to the waters. If we are pursuing all that God promises through the finished and completed work of the servant, then we come to the waters. Look at verses 1-5. to Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy, eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on that for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. In the Middle East, like everywhere else, water is life. It's a precious commodity. It is a scarce commodity. Water is necessary for both crops and livestock. God invites His people to come to the water. Why? Because it's only when you come to the water that the wine and the milk and the bread, the things that sustain life, are going to be found. If there is no water, there are no crops, and there is no livestock. If there is no water, there is no life. Jesus takes this idea, doesn't he, in the Gospels, and he calls people to himself and reminds them that he has streams of living water. In fact, in his conversation with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, she misunderstands what's going on. She thinks that, well, he needs her help to draw water out of the well. And he, in this play on words, says, no, 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 listen, I'm, I'll give you streams of living water. See, the kind of life that only water gives comes in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah is calling us to come to the servant. Come to the water. The servant gives life and the servant sustains life. All that is necessary for us to live is found in and through the person and work of the servant. He does this then, starting in verse 3, because of the covenant promises that he has made. Look at verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Now, part of covenant keeping involved in the process of making the covenant you needed to understand what you were agreeing to. And the covenant that God makes with His people is a unilateral covenant. In other words, God says, this is how it's going to go. This is how it's going to be. And God's people listen, hear, and receive the covenant that God makes. Now, this covenant 
that he makes is not just for Israel, but in verse 4 we're told he's made him a witness to the peoples. Verse 5, Behold, you shall call a nation that you did not know, and a nation that you did not know shall run to you. See, the extent of this invitation to come to Jesus and find life is not just for ethnic Israel. No, it includes the nations. Remember, God's covenant promise to Abraham was that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. And in the finished and completed work of the servant, the invitation to come to the Lord Jesus and find life is now available to everyone. Not just Israel, but to everyone. Where do you seek life? I realize in some ways it's a silly question because it's like, well, I I just have a life. Well, yeah. So let me ask it another way. Where do you seek the things that you think will sustain your life or give purpose, meaning, value, significance to your life? The Bible likes to use irony. And one of the things that Isaiah is pointing out to us in a fairly ironic way is that if we seek that which makes life meaningful, or if we seek the sustenance of our life in places other than Jesus and the Gospel, we're going to lose the very thing that we're trying to lay hold of. What are you after? I'm after life. Where are you going to look for it? I'm going to look for it wherever I think I can find it. Well, guess what you're not going to find there? the very thing you're looking for. Friends, if we pursue what the culture tells us is life-giving and sustaining, we're going to miss the very thing we're trying to lay hold of. That's why Jesus reminds us that He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one finds those things except through Him. How do we lay hold of this great promise? We lay hold of it only through the person and work of Jesus. Secondly, we need to seek the Lord. We need to seek the Lord. In verses 6-13 to of chapter 55, we're told right away, Seek the Lord while He may be found. And call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. We're now being called as we seek, the, as we come to the waters, we're called as we do that then to seek the Lord. And it's an urgent kind of seeking that Isaiah has in mind. We're to do it while he may be found and while he is near. In the midst of that, we're to forsake our evil way. We're to change the way we think. And we're to return to the Lord so that he would have compassion on us. Not that God would give us what we are due, but that he would show compassion and grace and mercy. Our God will abundantly pardon us. But let's not miss 
that the kind of seeking that he has in mind is an urgent kind of seeking. It's ASAP, all caps, exclamation points. God is calling on us because of the work of the servant. He's calling on us to seek after Him. Now, there's, if, as you're sitting here this morning and we think about that, there's, there are a couple different ways that the, the internal conversation here could go. On the one hand, if you're a particular kind of personality, you're thinking, hey, wait a minute. Uh, I got nothing but time. So don't, this whole seek him and do it, hurry up and all that. Like pastors just like to scare people and it's fine, right? Like I'll get to it when I get to it. There are some of us who are wired that way. There are others of you who are sitting there going, wait a minute, my time is my time and it might be God, but who does he think to tell me how I ought to be spending my time? I'll get to it, but I'll get to it when I want to get to it and not when somebody else tries to tell me I need don't like just don't try to tell me to do stuff because that's not going to go well. And the end result with both of them is in response to this clear call to the Lord, a clear call from the Lord to seek him while he may be found and to call on him while he is near and for the wicked to forsake their way and for the unrighteous to change their thoughts. In response to that, instead of heeding and obeying, we negotiate. We engage in what uh, one of my coaches in college used to call some Philadelphia lawyering. All apologies to the lawyers in the room. But we try to negotiate with God. We try to somehow take the urgency out of this gracious and loving and urgent call to pursue Him and to seek Him. Friends, He's already told us that life and all that sustains life and all that makes life worthwhile is to be found in the Lord Jesus. And now He says, listen, I'm not kidding. Seek these things. And we go, well, I got time. Or we go, well, you know, I got stuff going on. I'm pretty sure you might try to change the fact that I love me and have a wonderful plan for my life. So God, let's pump the brakes on this just a little bit. But don't miss the fact that the Bible in verses 6 to 8 is calling us to seek the Lord right now, today, this moment while we're sitting here. And there's a good reason why. You see, as you sit and you try to negotiate with God, (laughs) you're bringing a knife, not just to a gunfight, you're bringing a knife to like a a nuclear showdown. Look at verse 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Don't negotiate with God. You can't. You can't. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are His ways and His thoughts greater and mightier and loftier and different than yours. 
See, we seem to think that this offer is on the table endlessly. But we don't understand providentially what the Lord is doing and what He's up to. See, God is reminding us that He does not operate like we do. Now, if we doubt this, if we doubt the reality of what He's saying, verses 10 and 11 remind us that God's Word has this sort of uh, shocking inerrant, inherent power. God has said, seek Him while He may be found. Call on Him while He's near. And we go, well, I don't know. And God's going, hey, wait a minute. This is not really a negotiation you want to enter into. And by the way, uh, you just need to know that there's something inherently powerful about My Word that's not true of your Word. As the rain and the snow, verse 10, come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And friends, we have already seen in the servant songs, God's word both brings life, but it also brings judgment. And so when God says, seek me while I might be found and call on me while I'm near, and we go, wait a minute, God, uh, time out here. Don't, don't, I know you're God, but don't tell me what to do. He's lovingly, again, it, this is not just a, a wonderful proof text for the inerrancy and the power of the Bible, though it is that. But God is saying in the midst of this relationship, hey, listen, don't you understand how powerful my word is? we're dumb enough to want to test Him. And He's loving enough to say, you don't really want to do that. See, here's what we're passing on verses 12 and 13. What we're passing on, when we think we can negotiate with God, disregard His thoughts, His ways, excuse me, and disregard His Word. 12 and 13 tell us what we're going to miss out on. You shall go out in joy, and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. If you own uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, and you've read the last book, uh, entitled The Last Battle, then you've seen how beautifully Lewis pictures this scene how as the Pevensey children and their counterparts go further up and further in, they are privy and privileged to see how it is that the Lord is bringing all this to fruition. Well, the third and final thing that needs to be true of us as we pursue and appropriate for ourselves the promises of the Lord, is that we need to live as faithful citizens of Zion. We need to live as a faithful citizen of Zion. There are three really wonderful things that are going on here. Isaiah 56 serves as the tale for the servant songs, which reminds us then that in Isaiah chapter 37, we saw in the beginning in Isaiah 39, 
God promises that some of the sons and daughters of Jerusalem would be taken into captivity. Now, if you've read the book of Daniel, you, we get some insight into the story of what happened to some of those captives. For Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taken, and they're given into the custody of the one who is the master of the eunuchs. It's part of being taken into captivity. Yes, you get your life, but you get your life as a eunuch in the service of a foreign king. The other amazing thing going on here, the second, I guess I should say, the second amazing thing going on here is that the nations are once again included. This is not just for Israel, who has suffered at the hands of her foreign oppressors. No, this is for all the nations. And the third wonderful thing that's going on here is there's this really stunning call to Sabbath rest. So in other words, what's happening is in Isaiah 56, verses 1 to 8, God is calling us to live as image bearers. You may recall what happens in the creation account that God on the seventh day after all of his work is completed, he rests. We bear the image of God. God rested, and since we bear his image, we rest. Now, it isn't just a day in which we sit back and do nothing. No, it's also a day that reminds us positively of who we are. We are God's children. I can set my work aside and trust God to watch over it. I can stop working because God, in His infinite wisdom and power and just infiniteness, has it under control. We are children of God and we are intentionally created in His image. It's also interesting to note, though, isn't it, that he calls us right away in verse 1 to keep justice and do righteousness. And you're saying, well, what is that? what's the difference? Well, keep justice is how we think, and do righteousness then is what we do. And those two things have to go together. If my thinking is wrong, at some point my actions are going to go astray. But if my thinking is right and I don't do anything about it, what good is it? And so the Bible calls us both to think rightly about what it means to be just, but then also to actually do something about it. Why? Because God's coming. My Soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. Now it's interesting, isn't it then? Because the Sabbath, serves as a kind of litmus test. The Sabbath is, as it were, sort of uh, the gatekeeper that we have to be, bear in mind and that we have to sort of understand this is the litmus test. You see, if I can't let stuff out of my hand, and if I can't rest because I understand I'm created in the image of God, and God rested, therefore I rest, then I'm probably not going to do a great job of keeping justice and doing righteousness. We also need to understand that living as a faithful citizen of Zion 
requires different rhythms and different priorities. We have different rhythms in our house right now. The priorities are the same, but one of them has moved a little higher up the list. Friends, Isaiah 52 and 53 tells us of this phenomenal work the servant has done on our behalf. In Isaiah 54, God both announces and invites what it is that He's going to do because of the servant's finished and completed work. And now in Isaiah 55, through really vivid and powerful and clear commands, God says, listen, if you're going to be My people, this is how you lay hold of the things that I've done through the servant. You live as a faithful citizen. You come to the waters and you seek the Lord. The table this morning reminds us of whose we are. It's a family meal. And so when we come, we come understanding that we are indeed sons and daughters of God. We come understanding that we are not our own, but we've been bought with a price. That we who were once alienated with God are now called His children. And we remember that all of that is possible only because of the finished and completed work of the servant. The work that was so vividly painted for us. That His body was broken and His blood was shed. Friends, we have a visible, tangible, we can smell it, we can taste it, reminder of God's covenant faithfulness. He is our God. We are His people. And all of that is possible only through the work of His servant, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for the faithful work of Your servant. Thank You for the way in which You don't leave us to just figure out what it might look like to live as your people. But you give us a very vivid and very clear picture. Father, in the day and age in which we live, uh, there are a number of different approaches that are being heralded to how we would find life and what life would look like and how it is sustained. And Father, as we think about uh, and as we consider thinking justly and then doing righteously, Lord, again, in the midst of the day and age in which we live, there is such a need for God's people to not be held hostage by the urgent screamings of the hour but rather to faithfully and quietly go about the work and the life to which You have called us. We pray that we would trust You for that. And we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.